Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the leaders here at the church. And if you brought a Bible with you, I I turn your attention to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Underneath the seat close to you, you'll find a hardback black Bible, and you can use that Bible, and you can turn to page 842 in that Bible. You might have a Bible app. You can turn to Mark chapter 6 there. I'm going to get to Mark chapter 6 in a minute as per usual here, I have something I want to say before I start saying something. Does that make sense? So I want to share an ideology with you, just a thought that I've had for many years. I've been a Christian for a little over 20 years. I'm, I became a Christian when I was 26 years old. I had a no frame of reference for God at all. In fact, I, I sort of vacillated between... Um, atheism, not really believing in a God, to agnosticism. Maybe if there is a God, I could maybe somehow know him. I looked at God through the lenses of Eastern uh, religions like Taoism and Buddhism and Zen and some of those things. And many of you people have wandered this path yourselves. But when I, when I truly understood who God was, when I truly understand his son, Jesus, when I became a Christian, it was in this moment I began to realize that The culture around us, the world around us has a very messed up view of who God is. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, and we see it in the culture around us. We see it in the movies we watch. And I'm not anti-movie. I like me some movies, to be honest with you. (laughs) Right? And we see it in the songs we listen to. We see it in everything around us. And they have a a messed up view of who God is. But I I don't fault them for that. I want you to know that. I don't fault the world or the culture for not having a correct picture of who God is. It's not, in fact, their fault that they don't understand. Paul uses language like this in the New Testament. He says, I was once blind, but now I can see. You would never fault a blind guy for not seeing something correctly, would you? Please say no. (laughs) You make me nervous. (laughs) No, we we would never do that. That would be cruel and unusual. Um. When the world doesn't have a clear picture of who God is, I want you to know that's not unique to our society. It's not unique to our culture. It's not unique to our day and age. In fact, there were many people in Jesus' day following Jesus around. Jesus, you know, right? He's kind of a big deal. And they're following Jesus around and they're asking him questions about God. Who is God? What's God like? And Jesus does this really cool thing where he stands before them and he says, if you've seen me, If you've looked at me, Jesus, then you've seen God, the Father. He says, you want to know what God looks like? You want to know how God acts? Then look to me because I act like God acts. I only do the things that God tells me to do. I only say the the things that God wants me to say. If you want to know who God is, look to me, he says. I'm like, okay. 
And then the disciples who become apostles take that message and the message of faith and, and all that stuff that we just celebrated in communion this morning. And they begin to take that message, the truth and the love of Jesus, the Son of God, and begin to plant these little house churches all through Asia Minor and into the southeastern part of Europe. And it begins to spread across the globe at this point. And as these apostles are going around mirroring, mimicking the very things that Jesus himself had mirrored. As Jesus healed people, the disciples and apostles went and healed people. The blind eyes were opened. The deaf ears were opened. The lame legs began to leap like a gazelle, the Bible says. And the disciples are doing this, looking very much like Jesus. In fact, some people around that time in the first century AD, they began to call those disciples, those apostles, Christians. And do you know what Christians mean or Christian means? It means little Christ. There's all kinds of little Jesuses running around, or Jesus. I don't know what the plural is of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus sounds right because it sounds like Jedi. I'm just saying, <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> but there's all kinds of these little Christs running around. And hear me, when they used to say that back in the day, it was derogatory. It slipped out of the corner of their mouth in disdain and disgust at those people looking like Jesus. But they couldn't shake the fact that they very much resembled Jesus. So much, in fact, they called them little Christs, which became Christians. So follow my logic here. If the world has any hope to see a clear picture of who God is, we must point them to Jesus. Because Jesus said himself, if you want to see God the Father, you look to me. Right? And we, as Christians, we must be a perfect representation of who Jesus is in the earth. So that when they see us, the little Christ, they see the big Christ who then looks like God the Father. Is everybody following me here? This thought has, I have wrestled with this thought for over 20 years of my life. Hear me, when I lay down at night, I think about this. Have I represented Christ in the world today? When I'm at Walmart, pray for me. When I'm at Walmart, <laughs> it's a real thing. Like, am I resembling Jesus? There's a, I'll just, side note, there's a, an Old Testament prophet who was able to call down fire from heaven. I have prayed for that gift at Walmart. <laughs> and I just picture this mushroom cloud of sorts just poof. And everyone would know Jeff must be at Walmart again. <laughs> But as I lay down at night, when I see my coworkers and friends and even family members at reunions, yes, those people too, I question, am I resembling Christ? Are they seeing God through me? Are they seeing the very essence of Christ in me? So the, 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 the world has a wonky view of what God looks like, but I don't fault them for that. I, and I'm careful to fault us for that too. Except I, I think we are somewhat culpable. I love you with a pastor's heart and everything that I can muster. But there is a real issue in the church. There's a real issue in this church. And we, we must mature in the things of God. We must mature in the things that Jesus is calling us into. Last week, uh, last week, we began to talk about this theological idea of sanctification. Who was here last week? And we talked about sanctification. I know big church word, and we, we usually try to avoid those types of words because they can conjure up all kinds of false meanings. So we took um, 
a long time to explain it. And sanctification really has a two-prong approach. Hear me, the first part of sanctification is God's work alone that he sanctifies us or he sets us apart for his work. And God alone does this. You have no part of this. You don't earn this. You can't buy this. You can't pray for this, right? It is God himself who saves us through his son, Jesus Christ, and sets us over here. We are sanctified in him. We are holy in him. And then there's a second part of sanctification, the process side. So for all of us who have come to faith in Jesus, that call ourselves Jesus followers or Christians, whatever language you like to sprinkle on your bumper sticker, right? All that stuff, whatever you want to say, it is this process of that we start when we become a Christian and it goes until we die. That we will constantly forever be sanctified or be transformed into the image of God's son, Jesus. That is our purpose on the earth, that we look like Jesus, And this process of sanctification, this process of maturity is required of us. We sometimes struggle in this. Jesus is a a huge picture, a model for us. And Jesus also grew in maturity. Do you know that? Luke's gospel, Luke is the gospel that you'll read every Christmas time, right? When you read out of Luke chapter two, that Jesus, the baby was born in a manger and there's all kinds of cool stuff happening. This is the, this is the story that Linus reads in a peanuts Christmas story, right? <laughs> right? That's the one that everyone reads, Luke chapter two. Luke at the end of chapter two says this about Jesus. It says that Jesus also increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hear me, this word increased, it, it carries with it this idea of to cut forward. If you've ever cut back brush or tried to clear out an area, you know, where you have to just dig out stumps, uh, picture an army, if you will, uh, cutting trenches into the, the battleground. They are cutting their way as they advance and make progress towards something. This increase that, that Luke is talking about, that Jesus did, is, is this idea of Jesus maturing and growing up. Now hear this. When we look at Jesus' maturity, this is going to help some people. I believe this. Um, I want you to know when we talk about Jesus maturing or growing up, we're never talking about Jesus sinning less than he did before. You guys know Jesus never sinned, right? He's the sinless one. The, the unspotted lamb, the, the one that sacrificed for us, he's never sinned. So when we talk about his maturity or his growing in stature and wisdom and all these things, it never talks about that Jesus sinned less today than he did yesterday. That level of maturity is not equated to Jesus. And maybe this will help some of us, and maybe it shouldn't be for us either. What? Now hear me, when we are transformed into the image of Jesus, the sinless one, we will begin to sin less. Yes? But I wonder if the metric that we use to base our own maturity is on is whether or not we're sinning less than we used to. And I, I wonder if God doesn't want us to use another metric, another measuring rod to determine whether or not we're maturing. There are many other things that we can mature in, and we just seem to focus on the sin. In Jesus' name, be free from that. Be like Jesus. You will sin less. Don't focus on the sin. No? Anyways, so one of these other things, you guys are like, I don't know, I think he's wrong, I'm out of here. (laughs) 
hear me out first. I'm anti-sin for the record. <laughs> Welcome. There are many other things that the Bible would talk to that are signs of maturity in Christ. And one of them I just want to share with you today. It's this, um, it's this idea of obedience. Dun, dun, dun. Obedience. That God requires obedience of us. He, he wants us to obedient to, to what? To what he wants for us more than what we even want for ourselves. And again, Jesus perfectly modeled this for us. For those of you that know the story, there's this moment that Jesus, on the eve of his execution, he's with his disciples, he's going to be arrested in a few short hours, and the next day crucified, right? We talked about that already. And he's praying by himself in a garden somewhere. And it says in the middle of this prayer in Luke's gospel, we'll stay here for a second, Luke's gospel, chapter 22, as Jesus is praying, he prays to God the Father, and he says, Verse 42, saying to the father, if you are willing, God, remove this cup from me. Meaning this, if you are willing, God, to save humanity through another means, if you're willing to do anything else other than me going to a cross and dying for the sins of the world, if you are willing, God, let's choose that plan. Let's do that. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but yours be done. This is the pinnacle of obedience. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ, his obedience was made perfect through his suffering. See, you and I will oftentimes do the obedient thing if it doesn't cost us a lot, if it don't hurt us a lot, if it doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. Introverts, right? If it doesn't make us do things that we normally don't want to do. Jesus made perfect through suffering in his obedience, willing to lay down even his own life. All right, are we okay here that Jesus grew in maturity and we even see obedience maturing in him as well? Yes? yes? Right, and I think that's what God would have for us as well. And yet, I think there are a couple things, in fact, one primary thing that really stops us from being obedient to God. I think you have it. I know I have it. <laughs> I've got a whole lot of it. It's this thing called fear. And fear is oftentimes supported by just two things. Number one, we get so fearful or worrisome about the details of what God is asking us to do, we sometimes never start. Like God is asking us to do ABC or XYZ, whatever you think he's calling you to do, but you start to think, well, how am I gonna do that? Well, I gotta do this, I gotta do this thing, I gotta check this off the list, I gotta make sure I call this guy or whatever. And I'm telling you, God is not so much concerned that we know the details of everything. We leave the details, in fact, up to him. See, obedience sometimes just requires us to do what he says. Let the details rest in him who is creator of everything who can handle them, yes? And the second thing I think we become fearful of or worrisome is even the outcome of things. Have you ever been asked to do something? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. And then at the end of it, you're like, but if I do that and, and if it actually succeeds, then what happens next? Then what happens or, or what, if I, what if I do the very thing that God is asking me to do? I'll give you an example. Uh, the Lord once once asked me to take a friend to lunch and share with him, a friend, not a stranger, hear me, a friend, a, a guy that calls me Bud, right? Calls me friend. Take him to tacos and tell him the story of Jesus. And I was afraid. I was afraid he would say no. I was afraid he'd get upset. I was afraid of all these things. And so guess what I did? I didn't do it. 
we get fearful that sometimes if we ask someone to lunch, they'll say no to us. And so we never even do it. God wants to say he's in charge of the outcomes too. That the fear we have is, is unnecessarily on us. We, we don't have to worry about the details and we shouldn't worry about the outcomes. Those things belong to God and he wants them. He wants to hold on to them. He's much more uh, stronger than you and I. He has much more wisdom than you and I do anyways. Obedience is truly just following what he wants us to do, allowing him to work out all the details, letting him work out the outcome. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to turn to Mark chapter 6. Um, welcome to Renaissance. That's the intro, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and, and we're going to ask God to show us something um, out of Mark chapter 6, that I think the, 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 the disciples, apostles, you know, they're disciples at this point, but that they also had to wrestle through an obedience issue with Jesus, and it speaks directly to what we're trying to talk about today. So would you bow your heads with me and we just pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that we can learn about him, that we can look to him as a model of who you are. When we see in scripture how he had compassion and care for others, we can look to our lives um, as if looking in a mirror and see if the two things line up. Thank you for the picture that is Jesus for us. Thank you for his sacrifice for us. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would indwell us and equip us and strengthen us and, and, and give us power to do the things that sometimes we do not want to do. And I think that's an issue today of obedience, Lord. Sometimes we don't think we can do the things you're calling us to do. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand this, Lord. And we thank you for everything that you do in Jesus' name name. Amen. This came unclipped. Mark chapter six is a, a pretty famous passage. Um, this is the, there's a, a story in Mark chapter six where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. You, you might've heard this story. In fact, I think there's so much, there's so much emphasis on this one story that it's actually in all four gospels. This is the only miraculous story I believe that is in all four gospels. And I want to read from, from Mark's gospel here, starting in verse 34. Um, real quick, Jesus had just sent his disciples out two by two to perform miracles, to cast out devils or demons, whichever word, I think devils is awesome, cast out demons, cast out devils, and they go do all of that, and they're healing people, and some crazy stuff's happening. They come back to Jesus. Jesus sees that they're white, man. They're just, I mean, tired, and he says, let's go to a desolate place. Let's, let's get away from the crowds of people. Let's go somewhere else, and we're going to take a rest and grab some pizza, I mean, that's my words, but he says, we're going to get something to eat. Well, maybe it's tacos, not sure on that, but they're going to get something to eat and rest. And right here in verse 34 is where we pick up. This is, and when they went ashore, Jesus saw that a great crowd had followed them, right? Had followed them to this desolate place as they were trying to get away. And this great crowd had followed them and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, probably about the kingdom of God, probably about him being the son of God, probably about all this kinds of stuff. And when it grew late, 
the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place, a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Jesus, send these people away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy themselves something to eat. Tell them to go get some food. Tell them to get away from us, <laughs> right? I want to take a break. I don't know, but there's, there's something here. I want you to first notice that having spent their time with Jesus, they're already modeling Jesus' behavior. As Jesus had much compassion and care for others, the disciples seeing the multitude see it too. They're like, Jesus, we got to feed these people. We got to do something. They had compassion. They look like Jesus in this moment. And we see that. And so they come to Jesus and ask him to do something, not just anything, to do something, to, to feed them, right? And Jesus, I love what he says here. He answers them, you give them something to eat. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what's called a command from God. This is a command from Jesus. You give them something to eat. Think what you want about the commands of God. I will tell you, if you are obedient to them, you will be better for it. Say amen. Yes. When we are obedient to the commands of God, things are better for us. He commands them to give them something to eat. And, and they respond to him. Well, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? Can I just say dollars? Thank you. I wasn't waiting for your answer, but thank you. $200, can we have, can we go spend $200 of food and buy bread and give it to them to eat? What's interesting, this story as it's told in the other gospels, the picture here is, I think $200 is all they have. I think it's all they have. And they're willing to like spend all of their money to help people. But I think John's gospel tells us that even if they were to spend their $200 on bread, then every person, the 5,000, the multitude, would only get a morsel. And in fact, it wouldn't do anything to, sa to satiate their hunger. It wouldn't do anything to help them. Like they're saying this, Jesus, we'll spend whatever, we'll, we'll empty the coffers on these people. I'm telling you, it's not enough. And do you see what they're doing? They're pushing, pushing back the obedience to feed them. They're getting themselves concerned in, on, on all the details. What if we this? What if we this? What if we this? What if we that? They, they honestly don't know what to do at this point. We'll, we'll go to spend $200. John's gospel also records for us that, that Jesus had already set his mind to to feed them miraculously, like he'd already set his mind to do this. He was just inviting his friends along for the ride to see it happen. Maybe that'll be a support for you and I. Whenever God is asking us to do something, just consider that maybe God's already set his mind on the outcome and it's miraculous or supernatural or cool, whatever word you want to use, or fun, crazy, exciting. And God is in fact inviting you along for the ride. You feed them. I'm not sending them away. You feed them. We've only, we only have $200. It won't even be enough to feed them. And he says to them, verse 38, well, how many loaves of bread do you have? Go and see. So they go and find out how many loaves of bread are amongst them. And they say that we have five loaves. Oh, and a couple fish. Wonderful. And then Jesus commands them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. 
He puts them in groups of 50s or 100s or something, just big clusters of people. It starts to look like a wedding reception at this point. Everyone's sitting at a table, and they have a number on the table. And they're just waiting for the guy to say, table 16. <laughs> and they're waiting for you to get called to the buffet line, yes? <laughs> it is wedding season out there, isn't it? <laughs> and he has them sit down in, in groups of 100s and 50s. And then taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looks up to heaven he says a blessing, he breaks the loaves, and he gives it back to the disciples. That's significant. To me, every time I, I read the story and I have a little heading above the, this passage in my Bible, it says, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> Don't the disciples feed them? <laughs> I mean, semantics, for sure. But he's, there's an invitation into the supernatural, to the miraculous here. It's just kind of a neat thing. He says, you feed them. Okay, we've got five loaves, two fish. He breaks the bread. He blesses it and then gives it back to the disciples. And he says, and set it before the people. Now, if you had any doubts as to whether or not they're troubled over the details at this point, they're losing their minds. Like, I'm not giving that little bitty old basket of food to that group. Are you kidding me? Make Peter do it. Peter will do anything. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, come on, there are people. Would you? And there's like, he, okay, and you like drop, like to piranha, you drop the food into them, knowing that they're going to devour all of it and every other group, like that, those tables at the wedding reception are going to start getting angry because the buffet just ran out of tacos or something. They're going to be upset. And yet, and yet, we see two steps forward on this road of obedience, don't we? And, and yet they're willing to do like the little things as, as God calls them along. Well, how many fish or how many loaves do you have? And they run and go find out and come back. We only have five. Okay, that'll work. I mean, Jesus has got to be giggling on the inside on this thing. We only got a couple fish. Okay, watch this. And he makes this big thing. Oh, Lord, bless the food. I don't know what he says. Puts it into baskets. And then Jesus just sits back to watch this. The disciples hand the food to the first group of people and they start pulling food out. They're starving, been following Jesus all day, maybe for a couple days. And they keep pulling food out of the baskets and keep pulling food out of the baskets. And at some point, someone had to peek in to the basket, right? I'd be like, what is happening in this thing? What? How? How is this working? There's so many things in the, in the natural world, there's so many issues, so many remedies that can be brought in the natural way that can benefit people and help people. I get that. I think God uses us in natural ways, right, to, to help people, to maybe help with power bills, to help with food. You ever been to a restaurant and have somebody else buy your meal for you? Isn't that the most wonderful thing? It's just so great when, when people come along and just sort of help others in this way. But there's something really significant when God asks us not to do it in the natural way, but in the supernatural way. When the disciples come to Jesus, for us, it's a picture of what our hearts and motives should be too. So you and I see issues with our friends and people around us all the time, don't we? We have friends that just, let's be honest, they're not real bright some days, right? Maybe they're with you today. Thank you for bringing them. That's so great. <laughs> We're so happy you're here. And if you can't think of the dumb friend, tag you're it. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's you. I don't know. 
And when we see a need in someone's life, and it could be a financial thing, it could be there's a, a marital issue, it could be a, an addiction issue, it could be a, a health thing, that we oftentimes can run to them with a solution in mind. If I do this, I can help. If I change this, this will help. If I just chastise them for the behavior, that will help. And, and all those things are actually helpful. They really are. And in fact, God might want you to do all of those things, but I would... Uh, suggest to all of us here is that we seek first what God wants to do. When they saw the hungry people, they ran to Jesus. Jesus, these people are starving. We got to do something. That should be the motive of our hearts. There's, there's a brokenness in my neighbors. They're, oh, you should hear them all night screaming and yelling and or there's a brokenness in my workplace and we should run to Jesus on their behalf. God, what, what is happening here? We should do something. We should do something. And then listen as God says, well, why don't you this? Why don't you this? Why don't you this? And I'm telling you right now, the things that he calls us into sometimes are beyond our natural abilities. What he wants us to do, we can't do. And yet he still calls us to do them. If we let details go, if we let outcomes go and just be obedient to what God is asking us to do, I'm telling you, we will mature into this. We will grow into this. We will look more like Jesus on the earth. And I'm telling you, this sanctification process, this maturity process is not just beneficial to us. Listen, it is beneficial to them as well, because then they begin to see a truer picture of Jesus, who is a picture of who God is. And, and God begins to modify how the world sees him. Ugh. And he chose us to do it. This miracle is taking place in front of them. They're eating all of this food. In verse 42, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. They, every one of them ate and was satisfied. Something profound in that. Again, they, they thought if we, if we went our road, it's so clear, it's so clear. If we'd done what we thought we should do, which is to spend $200 on some bread, they would have got just a morsel. But we followed Jesus' plan, they all ate, and they were all satisfied. Can I be very honest with you? Of the two scenarios, which one do you think was harder? Like physically, like... the. I'm off notes now, it's okay. Um, Jesus, send these people away because we're in a desolate place. Send them to the villages to get something to eat. And, and then Jesus says, you feed them. So then they were ready to truck over to the villages to go buy some food to then truck back to then feed the people. I mean, I'm thinking of all the calories they're expending to just do all of that. All of the, the, and, and besides the fact that they empty their bank account to do such a thing. And yet when God says, no, no, I have a different way to do it. Do, do it this way. Breaks the bread, give, puts it in the baskets. Which one was actually easier for them? The second one. But it just required a level of obedience and a level of faith that maybe you and I sometimes don't have. I prayed for you this morning. I prayed for you. I don't know all of your names. I don't know who's going to be here at the nine. I don't know who's going to be here at the other services. But I prayed for you this morning. And I ask God to awaken you to this reality that obedience is the win. 
Obedience is the win. And to focus on trying to be more like Jesus in that regard, that's helpful to us and the world around us. We allow God to work out the details and handle the outcomes. 44, most of you know this already, but, or I'm sorry, 43. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces afterwards. I mean, there's more after than when they started. That is nuts. Like, I don't know, I'm losing my mind right now. I'm seeing this again for the first time. Again, for the, I studied this all week. <laughs> and I'm, I'm losing it right now because I didn't see that before. That when God calls us to these things, it is, it is so much better for us in the end. Do you hear that? As Jesus grew in obedience and maturity, um, I want to close with this. Paul the Apostle, who, one of the greatest leaders the church had ever seen, he wrote most of the New Testament for us. Our theology is based on how Paul understood Christ and understood the things of God. But he says in chapter 5, verse 19, He says, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And what Paul is intimating here, he's talking about the Garden of Eden. You remember the story back in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And through their disobedience, the world slid into this place of sin. Through one man's disobedience, through Adam's disobedience, the world came to know sin. All of his descendants, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve right? All of us, we are descendants of his sinful nature. And we are made sinners because of that. And through this one man, through his disobedience, we were made sinners. So true, so is it by the one man's obedience that the many will be made righteous. Jesus matured into obedience through suffering as well. And because of his obedience, we have been set free. Ladies and gentlemen, how many, and I, I, I try not to speak in hyperbole, but I am an animated individual, yes? I mean, I just, I get excited about stuff. How many people do you think would be set free if we could act in obedience more than we do now? How many more people do you think God would would open the eyes to and the ears to to hear the truth and love of Jesus if we would just be obedient to him? Now, I know when I say that, that there are people walking out of here thinking, oh, I just need to try harder and do more. Is that right, Joe? Try harder, do more? It's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying when God asks you to do something, just do it. But what about this? What about this? Just do it. Just do it. And then share the stories with people around you. They'll lose their mind too. (laughs) They're like, you did it? What? Are you kidding me? It's just so great. I ran out of time. I just want to pray for us now. I want want you to really hear my heart here. Um, I've been talking with Pastor Joe for a number of weeks now. 
there, there, are, there are opinions and thoughts that I have occasionally, I think that are from God and in fact are not. They're just me. They're, they're awesome because they're from me, right? They're awesome and they're wonderful and a snap, but they're not actually from God. But this one thing that Joe and I have been talking about and laboring over for many, many weeks now is this idea that there is a maturity that God is demanding of us this sanctification that God is drawing us into. Oh, sleepy ones, wake up. Wake up. Trust that God has given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the very thing that you think you cannot do. Your weakness is not the issue, right? Is the, does the Bible tell us that, that it's in our weakness he is made strong? In fact, take pride. I think that's sinful, but don't do that. But, but be happy that you're weak in some things because God can be strong in them. It's in those moments that God's strength is revealed. It's in those moments. I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna ask you to do something. We don't normally do this here. Um, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand during my prayer. It's not weird or nothing. I'm not asking you, who wants to get $5, <laughs> right? Just, but how many people here, would you, just, let's just bow our heads right now. I'll just pray. God, thank you. We're coming to you now to look for help. God, we, we need no more knowledge. <laughs> we need to just be obedient to you. We just need to, to, to learn as we go, if you will, to just try to experience you in, in the obedience of, of life, God. And for those of us in the room, God, who, for those of us that are in the room that would like to be more obedient to God, would you just raise your hand? Yes. Jesus, do you see the hands? God, do you see the hands? We are coming to you asking for your help. And we want to be obedient to you. We want the world to see you for who you truly are. Not this caricature of a... a an angry God, uh, an intolerant God, uh, you know, a hypocritical God. We want to see the real you, and we, we want you to do that through us, Lord. So God, I just pray that you, you cause us to be obedient, that you cause us through the power of your Holy Spirit to mature, to be sanctified, that we join you on the process as you mature us to look like your son, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I had a lot of fun. Thank you guys for coming. Um, just so you know, it's been real crowded in here again. I don't know if you knew this, but last week we had record attendance again. We had over 700 people here last week. I know, it's really exciting. I'm saying that to say this. September 11th, when we have that Tuesday night meeting about the future of the church, building out the third floors, Listen, I need you to come. Please come. Please come and, and be a part of that. We're going to take a member's vote to move forward. And um, I just really hope you come. We still have a desperate need for space. And I, I love you guys. I thank you. Um, would you please stand to your feet as we go back into a time of worship? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.